Hello everyone, my name is Blake Holmes and welcome into the first episode of Taking Heat, a podcast where myself, Logan Porter, Jacob Underwood, and Cameron Woolwine compete to bring the best takes to respond to a variety of topics within sports. The first topic of the episode, who has the most clutch individual performance in sports history? The way this will work is there is a wheel that I have here with each, with each of our names on it. I will spin the wheel and whoever's name it lands on will present their take. After they present their take and their evidence, the rest of the contestants will get a chance to ask questions or debate the point, and the original contestant must defend their point. At the end of the show, each contestant will vote on a take outside of their own, and the winner will get to pick the topic for the next show. Pretty simple, easy going. So now with all that, those preliminaries and things like that out of the way, let's go ahead and get started by introducing myself, ourselves. Again, my name is Blake Holmes. Uh, just came up with this idea, and this is just something we're going to be doing for fun and looking to move this for on a YouTube channel as well as some other platforms as well. I will just go in order of the Discord from what I see. So, Cam, if you want to go next and introduce yourself, give a little bit of your background as well. Uh, hello, I'm Cameron. I like a lot of different sports. I am a well, Russell Westbrook fan mostly for basketball. I don't really identify to a certain team. In football, I'm a Steelers fan. And then when it comes to like college sports, just mostly local teams around here. Nothing really crazy like that. Also enjoy golf, but don't really have a favorite player. That's a uh, that's mostly it. All right, and so we'll move into the next one, Jacob. Or I'm gonna we're, I'm just I'm gonna call you Underwood. Let's just go ahead and make sure that's known. I'm not gonna call you Jacob. Oh, please it's do. Odd. It's very odd for me. Really awkward. So Underwood, <laughs> Underwood go ahead. You're up next. Yeah. Yeah, Jacob Underwood. It's very uh, different to hear you say Jacob, so let's just stick with Underwood. It sounds way better like that. Um, so I am the head varsity girls basketball coach at Christiansburg High School, recently appointed to that role. Um, since we're talking about favorite teams, I'm a Carolina Panther fan, probably the biggest Panther fan in the entire world. I'm a Celtics fan, so let's not talk about that. Let's not go into very big detail. And I already told Blake if the one of the best performances is, is Steph in game four, I'm going to have to disengage from the podcast. Um, but yeah, big avid sports fan. Blake and I have known each other for a long period of time. We've kind of done this off air, off recording. We've had discussions about every player, everything you can think of. So this is anything new. Just adding a uh, microphone recording. It. We always wanted to bring that authentic feel to whatever we did. And if, for those of you that aren't aware, Jacob and I spent, uh, Underwood and I spent several years together uh, broadcasting through WXBX <laughs> and things like that as well. So off air, on air, pretty much the same thing. And we just wanted to bring that authentic feel. Uh, Logan actually my co-commentator mm -hmm. this past season which let's go ahead and introduce yourself as well yes i would my name is logan porter um but i am a man of many names uh, i also go by the mule um there is uh many many facts about sports that i know but uh that's not important i'm one of the only kids in my school to have ever played four sports at the same time and uh I'm really into sports. It's one of my favorite things in this world, and I would love to talk about it with the bright and shiny people that are listening to this out there. And at, like he just mentioned as well, if you're watching this on the YouTube channel, be sure to comment down below if you like what you're seeing here, if we need to do anything different. Let us know, um, as well as if you are checking this out on the Facebook on my Facebook page. We're looking to move this to other platforms as well, so let us know what other platforms you'd like to see us on, and we will do our best to accommodate that. So, like Underwood was mentioning, basically when I was thinking about this this topic for the first part, uh, 
it wasn't so much that the, just the, the specific finals. It was the fact that the NBA finals are on, the College World Series is on, and I just got started thinking about you know clutch performances in sports. And there always is. It's so fascinating to go and look and see one person who can completely change the tide and can completely change the outcome of a game. And we obviously know them as some of the most clutch performers. But when you boil it down, I wanted to look and see who had the individual best performance of all time. We know a short list of people that have just time after time after time again that have come up big in these moments. But I wanted to talk a little bit about specific situations um, in sports. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So we'll just go ahead and jump right back in. I've got my wheel right here. Um, again, as you can see, has all four of our names on it, and I will be spinning, and whoever it lands on will be the first contestant, and it looks like it will be Underwood. Underwood is going to be presenting his take first, so Underwood, you have the floor. Go ahead, present your take, and then, of course, you, will be, you should be prepared to defend it as well. All right, so for my take. Um, if a prerequisite, I've already thought about this. So before I before I say what I'm going to say, um, I'm going to get I'm going to get docked points for them losing the game. I did choose the NBA basketball as my um, as my topic. So uh, specifically, I'm going to talk about Game Six of the 1988 NBA Finals between the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, which is the Showtime Lakers, and the Bad Boy Detroit Pistons. So and specifically with that topic, I'm going to talk about Isaiah Thomas. Um, and his game six on his injured ankle. Um, so to me, this is one of the, the most courageous, heroic performances against a team that had just won a title the year before with the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, Isaiah Thomas, basically, long story short, before I dive deeper into it, he had 43 points in this game. Um, like I said, it was game six. They were they were up 3-2 against the, the Lakers. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had a monster game as well. Isaiah Thomas, you know, he'd lead this team in the half. Um, they're down eight at the time. He is talked about having his eye almost poked out, so his eye was watering. His finger was dislocated earlier in the basketball game. He had to put it back into uh, place himself. Um, and then, anyway, into the third quarter, Isaiah Thomas scored 25 points. And at that time, it was the record um, for most points scored in a quarter. He went up for a layup. He was clobbered by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So he goes to the free throw line, knocks down two free throws. Um, he then comes down again and hits a 12-footer. Then he comes down again and hits an 18-footer. So single-handedly takes the lead back for his team. So in the fourth quarter, he scored 14 points to begin with. He then comes down as he's attempting a layup. He rolls his ankle. And this is one of the, if you've ever played basketball before, you know that the difference in rolled ankles is pretty paramount depending on what it is. So there's the times whenever you roll it, you can get back up and it's just kind of tweaked. It's one of those tire shoes a little bit tighter. And then there's times when you roll your ankle and you know you can't walk for weeks. Um, and this was one of those where he knew that he could not walk for weeks. So he jumps up in the air, comes back down on his ankle. The uh, TV broadcast shows him writhing, screaming in pain. And keep in mind, Isaiah Thomas was not a big guard at all. He was one of the original small guards. So if you go online, it has him listed at 6'1", 180, but I would be willing to say he might not have been six foot. He might have been 5'11", and, and they were great. With the, uh, if you go through the footage and you watch the, the YouTube videos or go back and watch the old game, Isaiah Thomas is rolling around in pain, holding his right ankle. Um, he, he's got Bill Lane Beer with him. The trainer's trying to work it out. Um, and they have to take him out of the game. So at this point, it looks like Isaiah Thomas is done for the day. It looks like the Lakers are going to march to victory. They go, they're down eight whenever Isaiah Thomas leaves, leaves the basketball game. Um, he's been their leader. And I think it's also important to think about this, this Pistons team, right? So Isaiah Thomas was probably the main scorer on it. I mean, you had some other pieces along with like Rick Mahorn, and um, you had Joe Dumars, who a lot of people will say 
was also a scorer. I think of him more as a defensive player, but he could score the basketball. But for for the the sake of the argument, right? Isaiah Thomas has to be the primary ball handler, the primary scorer on this basketball team. Going up against Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a star-studded Lakers team. So Isaiah Thomas, the small guard, like I said, I'm going to call him five eleven. They can say six foot one. Five eleven. Isaiah Thomas goes down, rolls his ankle. He leaves the game. Looks like all hope is lost. They carry him off to the sideline. Fast forward a few minutes. They're down eight, 451 remaining in the third quarter. Isaiah Thomas comes back into the game, hobbling on one leg. So, the like I said, if you haven't seen the footage, it's awesome. He's dribbling the ball down the floor, hopping on just his left foot. Um, his right leg, he's still messing with. And then he proceeds to score 11 of the next 15 points um, in that third quarter for the Detroit Pistons to actually take the lead for them. Um, so now they've taken the lead. They're away from their first title at this time, um, from – I could keep it in the year before the Lakers won as well, and the year before the um, so this is when the, the Pistons were kind of hitting their stride with the Bad Boy era, and they would win it the very next year. Um, but Isaiah Thomas, twenty-five points in the third quarter on quite arguably one of the most vicious ankle rolls ever, finishes with forty-three points. Um, unfortunately, they did lose this basketball game. This is if you're familiar with it, the some people call it a phantom call. I'm sure if you're a Lakers fan that you think it was a great call um, when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar goes up at the very end and Bill Beer probably didn't hit him. They say he did. He goes to the free throw line. They win off the free throws. Um, and unfortunately, the Pistons do lose game seven um, at home. And in that game seven, Isaiah Thomas was pretty much a non-factor due to the ankle injury. Um, but I want to take that part out of things. I don't want that to be in consideration. So I just want to consider the third quarter when Isaiah Thomas leaves the basketball game, his team's down eight on a terribly rolled ankle, his primary dominant side, you know, his right side of his body. And, I mean, they're NBA players, so they can go either way, right? But, if, again, if you've ever played basketball, you understand that you prefer to go right. So a lot of times you're using the whole right side of your body. Um, he comes back in, 11 out of the next 15, finishes with 43 points in the basketball game, almost leads his team to victory against the Showtime Lakers with two of the greatest players, a lot of people's top 10, Eddie Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, with a team that, honestly, I don't think – had that many stars. They had a good coach, Chuck Daly, and they bought in, right? But if you look at the stars that the Pistons had as opposed to what the Lakers ran on the court, Isaiah Thomas almost single-handedly carried his team to victory against one of the greatest teams in the history of the NBA. So I think, so I, I want to say I, I do really like this take, and it's one of those things, a lot of people, like you mentioned at the beginning of it, they don't think about it because of the end result of the game. It's not something that they think about, you know, a perfect example of a take that make it known a little bit more is Allen Iverson against the Lakers in game one in 2001 because he manages to come out and, mm-hmm. and win that game in overtime. But at the same time, again, in this case, Isaiah, Ta- there's literally not much else, if anything else, he could have done in this game. And like you mentioned as well, this Lakers team, was and I don't even think you have to say two uh, two of the best players. It's on paper one of the biggest dynasties in NBA history, and they went in. Not many teams were giving them much of a shot, or not many people were giving them much of a shot. They go in and take those Lakers to seven games, which is unbelievable, and then they go and win two straight after this. Uh, I guess the, again the only thing is, and I know it's it's unfair, and that's why it's so tough for this topic. It's a little unfair to say this, obviously. Like you said, points ducked it a little bit just because he didn't win the game. But again, I do agree. There's not much else Isaiah Thomas really could have done in this scenario. Yeah. And I, like I said, I'll be honest, I just looked this up because I was curious as I started to think about it. Um, I know that the height is a big thing with Isaiah Thomas as well. So both Isaiah Thomas is actually, you know, the current, I don't, I guess you can count him as a current NBA player, Isaiah Thomas. And then you have the old Isaiah Thomas. 
on the Zeke from the Bad Boy Pistons. So looking at the roster from the 1988 Lakers, uh, keep in mind, listed at six foot one, Isaiah Thomas, probably probably not that, but Magic Johnson, six foot nine, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, seven two, Byron Scott, six foot four, AC Green, six foot nine, Michael Thompson, six ten, Billy Thompson, six seven, Michael Cooper, six five, Tony Campbell, six seven, James Worthy, six foot nine. So, like I said, I, I this, this when you when you talked about the greatest individual performance, I knew I was going to be dark points just because he did not win the basketball game. But Isaiah Thomas hopping around on one foot, trying to lead his team to the, their first NBA title, um, you know, with a, a team that didn't really have all the talent. They had a few pieces. That was when Dennis Rodman was still there. You know, at that point he wasn't the worm yet. He was still, I, I don't want to say sane, but at that point he was just a rebounder. You know, he was athletic. Um, but yeah, you can't really name another scorer on that team. I don't think we can call Bill Lane Beer a scorer. I think he was more of like an enforcer. He was there. Vinny Johnson is whatever. Um, but Isaiah Thomas, the soul of the of the Bad Boy Pistons, Lambert, doing everything he can to try to win the game while hopping on one foot. Lambeer was, I will say, was a decent outside shooter, but not enough. He wasn't at the level. I, I, it bothers me to know when when I hear people call Lambeer a stretch big. Because that's what people wanted to bring him as. He can shoot. He can shoot yeah. some mid range. He was yeah. able to stretch, get out of the paint a little bit. He's not a stretch big like you see in the NBA today. And yeah, exactly. I mean, you talk. You talk about that team. And again, some people want to discredit Thomas as well by saying Dumars was this big scorer. When, like as you mentioned, he was known more as for his defensive uh, prowess compared to his score, which he was an average, a, a pretty good scorer. Don't get me wrong, but more so known for his defensive yeah. ability than his scoring ability. I like, yeah, I, I like the point that right. Edward brings up with, uh, like, yes, they, they lost the game, but Isaiah Thomas in that moment was as clutch as he could be. Because like you, like you said, it came down to that, um, what you call the phantom call. Um, so it, mm-hmm. it kind of shows that even though they lost, that was still an overall individual clutch performance. Um, so, like, you don't have to win a game in order for something to be clutch. I would agree with that. I yeah. Mean, obviously, winning the game is important, but there's a lot of clutch moments that don't happen that don't lead to the outcome of the game. Well, I think you also have to think about it like this, right? Like, a lot of individual performances are forgotten because of what happens next. You know, a classic is NCAA championships, Villanova. <laughs> we forget. We forget what happened right before we hit the big shot, Chris Jenkins, right? We forget what happened. Marcus um, Page with the unbelievable was all- double clutch three. That's I still don't even understand how he yeah. got it in, but exactly. Exactly. So we we forget about that, right? A lot of people. I mean, mo- most semi-hardcore sports fans know that he hit that big shot, but for the most part, everybody remembers the big time three to win it. But they wouldn't even been in that situation if we hadn't seen, like Blake just mentioned, the crazy double clutch three that I remember standing up and down in my bed, and I didn't even have a dog in the fight. I didn't care who won the game. But that was an insane shot as well. And just looking at the box score from this game, right, the Pistons lost by one point. They ended up losing game seven by three. Isaiah Thomas played 44 minutes, led the team in minutes, all right, even with the hurt ankle. He finished with three rebounds, eight assists, 43 points. These are the, the, these are the, the other numbers he got from other teammates. John Sally gave them three points. Dennis Rodman gave them six rebounds, seven points. Who I honestly don't know who Jay Edwards is. Whoever Jay Edwards is gave them eight. Vinny Johnson gave them five. Rick Mahorn, four. Bill Lanebeer, two. Dumars gave them 16. And Dantley gave them 14. Isaiah Thomas led them in minutes. Okay, He was third, fourth on the team in rebounding and had eight assists, only second to Joe Dumars, and led 43 points. Again, next closest was 16 against that Lakers team. So, 
Another player I'm going to go ahead and kind of equate this to, obviously Isaiah Thomas is much more impressive, but people don't realize when Michigan played against Louisville, and, and the reason you said NCAA basketball got me thinking about this, Michigan had a player that came off the bench that wasn't really that well-known. His name was Spike Albrecht. And he comes out and drops 19 points in this game. His career high had been at well under 10 points before this. And he comes in on the biggest stage and drops 19 it completely had to change Louisville's game plan. And again, same thing. Louisville, the, that tournament run is remembered for Kevin Ware's injury, is remembered for yep. uh, Russ Smith coming in and, and having a big tournament, uh, Peyton Siva as well. Those are the guys that people remember from that run. They don't remember Spike Albrecht, but that doesn't mean what he did wasn't huge in the moment as well. Yeah. You just pulled that out of the deepest part of my brain. I'm not going to lie to you. He was saying Spike Albrecht, that was crazy. So, yeah, definitely. Like like we talked about, some things are just simply forgotten because of what happens at the continuance of the run. Like we talked about, Kevin Ware's injury, maybe one of the most gruesome we've ever seen live. Um, it, it was rough. Um, but that, that, like we talked about, things are often overlooked because of what else happens around them, but we just can't forget about that moment. So, Cam, Logan, do you have any other questions or anything like that? I don't think I do. I mean, I like I said, the, the, the great point of just kind of. I think it's a it's a great one to start off on um, too, because it kind of shows the point of it kind of defines the point of what is a clutch game, and that's really what yeah. this is about. And it's an individual performance because you kept bringing up Isaiah Thomas. I mean, would you, you say he had forty four points, forty three, forty three, and a one point loss? And like I said, I mean, it's subjective to what you believe in, right? But Kareem getting fouled at the very end of the game. I mean, <laughs> they were that close. They, they were one point away, basically. That foul away from winning an NBA championship on a broken ankle, basically, against one of the best teams of all time. So I wish we could show the footage. It's probably some type of copyright law or something like that. But um, anyways, the point is, um, just go look it up on YouTube. He is hopping up and down on one foot, trying to will his team to victory. Unfortunately, he didn't do it. Like I said, I already prepared for that that point of the the argument but he, he was that close and even in game seven like i said he was a non-factor but even in game seven they were only three points away from victory so all right well so we'll go ahead and underwood starts off the series starts off the show with isaiah thomas's 43 game six 43 point game six uh performance against the lakers uh, one of again I, I i agree with you one of the more forgotten performances in nba history We'll go ahead and jump to the next person as I have my wheel on the screen, and it will be myself. Okay. So, I'm going to go ahead and start this by defining what I think a clutch performance is. For one, obviously, it, it requires showing up in, in big moments, um, but obviously... And it may be fair, you have a lot of players who have had huge moments in both playoffs and regular season. Kobe Bryant was a, was a prime example. The Mamba mentality, we go back and we look at some of his huge heroics towards the end of the games. The ones that I remember more fondly obviously happen in the bigger moments. I don't think I need to explain that. Um, so for a moment to have that much worth, it's got to be the big moment. Like Underwood's there, the NBA Finals. It's got to happen in the Super Bowl, the World Series, things like that. Um, I'm also going to go ahead and say there's just something special to me 
when it seems like the most clutch performances come from players that you don't expect anything out of. I think that makes it more innately clutch because it's one of those situations when you go up and you have a situation, LeBron James is bringing the ball down the floor. You expect him to come up with something that's going to end up winning that that basketball game. When Tom Brady has the football on the last drive, you expect something to happen. Um, while we may not like some of those players or anything like that, it's what you come to expect over the years. But there's just something about someone you that's an unsung hero that I, I think is really nice. And I'm going to go ahead and say three words here, three terms here, and I want if, if it rings a bell for anybody, I want you to go ahead and speak up. If I say the words 2011 World Series, does that say anything to anybody? Not particularly, to be honest. Logan Underwood? I I wasn't really following baseball around at that time. I kind of got more into baseball around like 2016. Underwood, I know you're going to... David Priest. You're going to... There you go. 2011. It's so, so Underwood knows what I'm talking about. I'll go ahead and set the scene for everybody who is not unfamiliar. It's game six of the 2011 World Series between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Texas Rangers. Um, this is a situation to where the Cardinals have had went through so many trials. They trailed by like over 10 games with a couple months left in the season to even make the wild card. They make this comeback. They go through the playoffs. They get to the World Series. It's just been this unbelievable run, only rivaled in baseball by maybe the Miracle Mets in 1969. But when you're talking about this team, they've been through trial after trial after trial. And it's game six of the World Series. The way MLB worked back in the day, for those that are unfamiliar, is a typical seven-game series now is it goes two games at one person at uh, the better seeds home stadium, two games at the worst seeds home stadium, and then you alternate game five, six, and seven. Back in these days, though, it was different. It was two at the better seeds stadium, then three at the worst team stadium, worst seed stadium, and then the last two were at the home seed stadium because it was supposed to give you the advantage towards the end if they make it to those later parts of the later parts of that series. So it's game six. The Cardinals are down three to two in this series. Um, this is again one game away from elimination. And David Freeze is a third baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals. The the main player for this Cardinals team was Albert Pujols, and the next player was probably Lance Berkman. Also, Adam Wainwright in the in the starting rotation. Those were the main ones, and maybe Adam Holiday over uh, David Freeze. But Freeze was a solid player, and he had been playing decently well. But he was nothing. He played really well in the NLCS and actually won the series MVP, but nobody was expecting him to become up real huge in the World Series. In fact, in the fifth inning of this game, when it's tied 3-3, three to three, has a an easy pop-up that he drops, and that leads to a run um, later on in the inning. Josh Hamilton scores off of it. And it's one of those things to where it looks like it could be a nightmare. And we fast forward into the bottom of the ninth. Every kid dreams of this scenario. Bottom of the ninth, two outs, World Series. You want to have this shot. And Albert Pujols is on second. Lance Berkman is on first after drawing a four-pitch walk. And then Alan Craig, I believe, is who is strikes out. And David Freeze comes up with two outs. At one point, he goes down in the count one and two, bringing his team to one strike away from elimination in the World Series. And what does he do but flare out a 
cracked fly ball to right field just over the outstretched glove of Nelson Cruz, bringing around both Albert Pujols and Lance Berkman. Game was tied 7-5, tied at 7. Bases clearing triple in the World Series to keep his team's hopes alive. Now, of course, that's a huge moment. It's the World Series. It's the entire team's lifeline on the line here. And people may be thinking, yeah, but that's one at bat. We've seen walk-off home runs. We've seen Kirk Gibson hit a walk-off home run. Bobby Thompson with a shot heard around the world. I mean, there's been plenty of those, right? Fast forward two innings later. Two more runs are scored by both teams in the 10th inning, and then the Rangers don't score in the top of the 11th. So we get to the top of the 11th. No outs. David Freeze is back up to bat. Um, he, he works the count full. And I know a lot of people like to trash Joe Buck a lot, the announcer, but in my mind, one of the most memorable baseball calls comes on this play. David Freeze launches a, a fly ball dead center field, and Joe Buck launches deep to center. We will see you tomorrow night. Ball lands, and obviously St. Louis goes crazy. David Freeze walks off the game. The very next night, the Cardinals go on to beat the Rangers in Game 7 and win Tony La Russa another World Series ring in 2011. The thing that makes this so crazy to me is, again, not only did he have the opportunity to come up and deliver in those two moments, he bounced back from an error earlier in the game, as well as being one strike away from elimination. Once his team was once again one strike away from elimination in the 10th, but they managed to get through. And then he faces a full count before he launches a missile over center field and being the main reason, winning the World Series MVP, being the main reason that the Cardinals took home another World Series. Being able to launch a bomb in the MLB is is a big feat because hit, hitting a fastball is incredibly difficult. Now, having hitting a bomb off of a 3-2 count is insane as you know you're 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 basically in in battle mode as i mean um a lot that's there's a reason why like a lot of strikeouts uh occur when the batter's already at three and two because they're, they're just kind of battling to stay alive and not only that but once again it's not like it'd be one thing and, I, and i'm not taking anything away from it if it was this person but it wasn't out of holes that came up in these big moments it wasn't even lance berkman who had one of the hotter bats in the second half of that season. It was a little a lesser known guy in David Freeze who was on the right tear at the right time and came up in the right moments. And there's so many people that come up in these moments and they can't figure it out. Think back with the 2016 World Series with uh, the, the the Cleveland and Chicago. Cleveland had their chances in the bottom of the ninth to tie this ball game up, but a little dribble to third base, Chris Bryant finishes off the over 100 year drought in World Series history. These moments don't come very often, and for Freeze to do it twice in the same game, and basically will his team to Game Seven and eventually the World Series, the World Series is something that I have been amazed with for such a long time. I mean, not only that, but he, he had not only did he have the walk-off home run, but he also had a triple earlier in the game with one strike with uh, facing one strike from elimination that would have completely extinguished his team into the season. Texas wins their first World Series, and it ends up 
he avoids heartbreak and directs St. Louis to the promised land. As you had also uh, mentioned earlier, being able to uh, overcome the adversity, like you had said, of him having an error earlier in the game is massive. Because I don't know if it's just me, but whenever I play sports and uh, I mess up mentally, sometimes it's challenging. And obviously for him to uh, be in such, like a, such a big stage and overcome making a mistake, it's obviously something I think that's also a little underrated. Like the mental aspects of sports. Just... I don't know. That's just a second thing to look at, I guess. Like the being able to overcome it. And David Freeze also, if you go back and look at his, it's it's so funny because if you go back and look at his career stats, he never reached this level ever again. He never got this close. He never. Uh, I, I don't know if he's still around necessarily, and and some other uh, you on the bench somewhere. But when he had he had one chance, technically two chances in a game. And those two only, and he made the biggest possible plays he could on both of them. And again, unknown, unsung heroes coming in, making plays at the biggest times and situations that you don't expect any, a whole lot out of them. It's just an unbelievable story to me. I think that's what makes a clutch moment even even better is those moments of the, the kind of people you don't hear about because like there there are moments that everyone knows about because it's it's you know the player that everyone talks about that's on the team um like you know you know about their moments you hear about them for the rest of sports history but the great the great clutch moments i i feel are from those people that like you know they had that one moment that's all they ever did Underwood, I know since we played baseball together back in high school, I know you can attest as well just how nerve-wracking it can be when you come up to the plate in late-game situations, let alone in just JV baseball like we played in the World <laughs> Series of facing elimination. Yeah, so I have two things. One, in support, and then I have to play devil's advocate. All right, so uh, he, he, he took the, the – when he was down to his last strike, he took it to the opposite field, right? Mm-hmm. Then it goes – yeah, so he took it oppo. So I have to respect the uh, the approach at the plate. That that he didn't try to do too much. He took what they what they gave him. Um, so my devil's advocate. I'm, I may be wrong. So if I'm wrong, you can tell me. Didn't Pujols go off in one of these games in that series though? So, Wasn't it one of the early games? So Pujols in game three. It was in Texas. Um, Pujols went off, but the entire team went off as well. They had six. I believe okay. it was sixteen runs. In this game, Pujols had three home runs, which again, huge game from him. But six, I believe only one of them may have been more than a solo shot. There were 16 runs, and then over games four and five, they had only had two runs, and in both of those games, and only one of them they even scored in. So it was uh, two runs over two games after scoring 16 in game three. So in game six, they're already they're they're in that offensive rut still. They're still trying to find that magic in game three. And again, it's it's freeze. It, it's it, obviously it's a mixture of everybody because Pujols and Berkman did yeah. what they had to do to get to first and second base. Obviously, baseball we've seen it with Mike Trout over the years. Best player is not going <laughs> to carry your team necessarily. It, they literally had Mike Trout and Shohei Otani didn't even finish close to the postseason. Uh, but again, and the same thing, and you were talking about that. Yes, he did go oppo. And not only that, the Rangers were playing a no-doubles defense. 
They were playing <laughs> deep. They wanted they were deep saying, in the gap. Yeah, nothing. Nothing's getting past us. Nothing. You know, they're not hitting a double. They're not clearing it. And Freeze put it about five feet from going yard off the top of the wall, and it led to that triple. Yeah, that's insane. So, are you specifically because he did win World Series MVP, right? Am mm-hmm. I correct on that too? That is correct. So, are you specifically saying just Game Six, or are you saying the entirety of the um, the World Series? What is your because I'm okay with either. So are you saying specifically the clutch performance was game six, or are you just going to try to include the entire World Series because he was named a World Series MVP? I'm mainly going to say game six because even though Freeze played okay. really well for the other parts, and again, he also is the Series MVP in the NLCS, game six is the one that is really remembered, obviously. And again, the fact, again, just the fact that he was not only coming up in those moments, but on both of those scenarios, coming down to two strikes, he has one you know, one pitch away from not this not happening at all, and who knows if he strikes, especially if he strikes out in the first at bat, Texas wins their first World Series. If he doesn't, if he doesn't strike out, or if he strikes out in the second at bat, Texas still could win their first World Series. And it's one of those things again, because he clutched up in the moment. Literally, he had one pitch. That was it, and he did everything he could do. So. I'm mainly focusing. He had a great series overall, great postseason run, but I'm mainly focusing on Game Six. Okay, that was a uh, that was a good one, Blake. I uh, I appreciate it. That was that, that was a that was good. I figured you'd go baseball. That was my. I, well, I actually figured you might go something super crazy, like some golf, something like that, or I thought about Tiger Woods or some type back. of crazy. I thought yeah. about a Tiger Masters <laughs> run, but yeah, it was yeah. David. Like I said, David Freeze. I remember watching that as a kid and just going. I had no dog in the fight whatsoever. I think I still called myself a Yankees fan at the time, but I'm obviously a Braves fan now, yeah. and. Obviously, I was watching that, and it was one of those things to where it was just back and forth over and over. And I liked, I, I liked both sides. I mean, obviously, I liked Pujols for the Cardinals. I liked Adrian Beltre, who was a Ranger at this point. Um, and, and it was just one of those things, again, seeing them go back and forth. It's kind of similar. I already used this example to how I felt watching 2016. Cleveland and Chicago, both of them have these super long... World Series droughts, and you know you're going to witness history either way. It's going to Game 7. It goes into the bottom of the 8th, and Rajay Davis comes in, and it's a two-run shot to tie it that ends up leading to this unbelievable performance. And then, of course, the, the Ben Zobris comes through and knocks in a run in, ga- in ga- uh, the ninth inning, and the rest is history. Chicago wins their first World Series in over 100 years. But it's just one of those things, again, when I was kind of similar to what you said when you used to watch this thing and you th- watch Isaiah Thomas, and you're thinking, "What is this? What more does can this guy do?" Ex- same thing can be said for Freeze, and the fact he's got the mental problems. His team has not been performing the past couple games. He has the error in the fifth inning, and he comes out and puts together two of the most productive at bats in MLB history. Looking at the roster from that 2011 team, there are a lot of names that you kind of forget about until you someone's like, "Oh, yeah." So you got to think Kyle Laus, man, Lance Berkman, looking through Matt Holiday's on here, Edwin Jackson, Raphael for call. So that, man, it's not related to anything, but a lot of those names I hadn't thought about in and yeah, a decent amount of years. Their pitching staff is why Adam Wainwright once again, Jason Mott out of the bullpen. You go to Texas's side, Adrian Beltre. Adrian Beltre. Um, I'm not sure if Elvis Andrews was around at this point, but Josh Hamilton when he was in his prime. The Cliff Lee. Yeah. The list goes on and on and on, and it's just one of those things again. Two really good teams that fought it out, but it came down to who performed in the biggest moments, and it was David Freeze. It's a good argument. I enjoyed that one. Cam, Cam, uh, Cam Logan, anything else? 
I can't really think of anything. I think we've covered most of the aspects of... Logan? Yeah, I think um, I think we've really... I think we touched a lot of bases on there. I think that... <laughs> pun intended. Uh, Ooh, tomato, tomato, tomato. Uh, I say tomato, preferably, but, I mean, that's just my opinion. All right, Blake. Blake, cut that out. Cut that out of the podcast. <laughs> we'll go ahead and move on. So we have Logan and Cam left on the board on the wheel here. And we, again, uh, whoever is the odd one out will present last. The next person presenting will be Cam as it lands on him. So, Logan, you will be finishing up the podcast as well. Man, it's just like dodgeball. Always get picked last. <laughs> Cam, take it away. All righty. So... Everyone else has kind of talked about people who, as you had mentioned before, you kind of don't expect to make clutch plays. But I'm going to bring up someone who I think is expected to make clutch plays, and that's the reason I chose it is LeBron Game 7 2016 against Golden State. I got to bring up the fact of, I think personally, the best block in NBA history happening on Iguodala. I think that um, this game had a lot on LeBron's legacy also because obviously year before they ended up losing to Golden State this time down 3-1 they get blown out the first two games they get blown out once in Cleveland it was a lot for LeBron I think I think that um as I'd mentioned I think this honestly was the game that defined him in my opinion as the greatest basketball player of all time and I know that's a whole separate debate in itself but Obviously, I have to mention some bad things. This wasn't a great stat line game for LeBron, necessarily, like, shooting. He put up 27-11-11, which is obviously a triple-double, which only two other people have done in a Game 7 of the Finals. And then it just happens to be that he has the major block that pretty much keeps the game tied at 89-89. And then with about 50 seconds left, obviously, Kyrie hits the shot over Curry. And then LeBron ends up making one of two free throws to finish the game when he tries to poster Draymond and ends up getting hurt. But, um, I don't know. Like I said, LeBron's obviously had, like, a lot of clutch moments in his career. He's obviously a top three player of all time. I think everyone could agree with that statement. I just think that this block is... It just had a lot. I mean, it gave Cleveland their first ring, first time coming down, or coming back from 3-1 deficit. I think that if LeBron loses this series, I think that uh, we wouldn't be talking about LeBron and the GOAT debate, to be honest. I mean, if he doesn't get this ring, obviously NBA history changes. I don't think Kevin Durant goes to Golden State if Golden State wins this series, to be honest. So I think that uh, this game obviously had like a lot riding on it, and I think that um, LeBron's legacy was pretty much defined in that game and in that moment with the block. Because, I mean, if that block isn't made, Golden State probably ends up winning that game so that is that's my so, art i do so i want to i want to i want to ask something real quick and this doesn't have to do with the, the take itself but something else you said in the middle of that take if golden state wins that uh year in 2016 why do you think kevin durant wouldn't have went to the warriors uh, I just don't think that uh, Golden State would have pursued Kevin Durant as much as they would, or as much as they did, because whenever they lost that series, I think they kind of realized that they didn't have a roster completely enough to beat that Cleveland team, 
And by adding Kevin Durant, it pretty much guaranteed that they were going to get one or two more rings. Now, don't get me wrong. Kevin Durant may have still went there after they won that, like, after that, if they had won that championship. I just think the chances of it are a lot lower. I think Kevin Durant would have either went somewhere else or stayed in OKC. Because from the point of view that I could see, it's it was more of more less of Golden State pursuing Kevin Durant as Kevin Durant pursuing Golden State, at least from my point of view. Well, see, as I understood it, I personally thought that Draymond Green and like Steph Curry during that summer had tried to pursue Kevin Durant, but I may have been wrong. I'm not 100% sure about. So oh. you are you are correct on that. You know, there was a report that Draymond, as soon as he lost that series, he literally went out and texted Kevin Durant, "We need you." Like that 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 is a story that happened. And I will go ahead and say as well, the fact that this happened, uh, just to help your point as well, and, and this is known in the NBA as well. But the fact that LeBron did this against the statistical and record wise best team of all time, um, seventy three and nine. Or regular season, you go through and you talk about the playoffs. Nobody was touching them in the playoffs either, really. And they go through and they make the NBA Finals the year after they they uh, won it for the for the first. I believe it was actually their second ring, uh, the the second time they'd ever won the championship. They go through, and again, I think that there does have to be some weight taken the fact that. Like you said, I do. I don't know if the, how much this really does affect his legacy because I think there are a lot of people who say if he lost again, there's no shame necessarily to losing to the best team of all time, especially since he got them to Game Seven in the first place after the three-one. Um, I do think that the three-one deficit does have to be taken into consideration as well, though the fact that they, him and Kyrie, kind of brat, battled together and got Cleveland to that point, anyways. But I'm looking at these stats right here, especially. Kyrie, when it came down to this game, obviously, he ended up... LeBron led the team in scoring, uh, 27. Kyrie had 26. But I do have to play devil's advocate a little bit as well. I, some would argue that Kyrie's shot over Stephen Curry is a little bit more of a clutch moment, not just because, obviously, LeBron had... That's one of the greatest defensive plays in NBA history and not taking anything away from him there. But... Kyrie making that shot in that moment over one of the faces of the league, even though Steph wasn't a great defender at that point, I think, do you, do you think that limits this take a little bit as well? Or is it, you know, do you still think that Cleveland would have been able to hold on when that game had, had Kyrie not made that shot? Don't get me wrong. Kyrie Irving's shot in itself could be honestly a take on here. Like, it really could have been. Because, like, as you said, made the shot over Stephen Curry to send him up by three the only reason i think i just think that the only thing i disagree is that i think this did have a big effect on lebron's legacy just for the fact that like going down 3-1 obviously it was the 73 and 9 warriors no one expected lebron to win this series in the first place or kyrie irving i'm not going to sit here and act abs team wasn't good it's just they weren't golden state i mean that team had a guaranteed three hall of famers on it so i just well I don't know. I think the block right. itself was more important just for the fact of if Iggy makes that, I think that Golden State's crowd really would be more in the game. I think that it just, I don't know. Curry put up two horrible shots in those final two minutes, by the way. I want to mention that. That kind of, I think Curry was a little rattled. I also will go ahead and give you one more credit, and then Underwood, you can go from there. I will say, I do like your point there in the sense that 
when you were watching that game and you were seeing whenever LeBron made that block, you could just feel the momentum completely go away from Golden State, and it was one of those things that completely shifted to Cleveland. And you just kind of there was a obviously you still held out and thought, well, Golden State can make a comeback, but a lot of people deep down knew that after that block happened, it was probably a wrap. And I'll throw it to you, Underwood, for your comments in there. Okay, so. I agree. Great, great moment. LeBron, I agree. Best basketball player of all time. And then, But I actually, I mean, I go back and forth. Either him or Shaq. I think Shaq's peak was the highest of any NBA player ever. But it's a different topic again. Um, but I actually think that we need to take into consideration that in that in these games, Kyrie was the closer, right? Remember when it was talked about that is LeBron deferring to Kyrie in the clutch? That was a legitimate topic that was talked about when these two would play together. Because if, I mean, game seven, obviously LeBron had the big block. But let's go back to game five. Kyrie shot like, I don't want to speak wrong, so I'm just it was it was close to 75 percent from the field while scoring 42, 40, 41, 40 points, whatever it may be, right? To even continue to give them a chance, um, so Kyrie had to have averaged 28, 9, 30 points per game in that that final series. So LeBron's block was awesome, right? But at the same time, Kyrie was giving him 26. Um, the the you kind of contradicted yourself, and I'm not trying to argue with you, but you said that you didn't think Golden State was good enough, and that's why they went after uh, Kevin Durant. But at the same time, they were 73-9. and nine. They were better than that Cleveland team. That Cleveland team as a whole was bad. I mean, if you think about it, like, J.R. Smith was one of their, their main role players. Um, I mean, K-Love was – yeah. Yeah, but, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, those guys are not good. Like, like you, you, you said that the Warriors should have won that series. I agree. But do you think it was more so LeBron carrying them? And I'm not the biggest Kyrie Irving fan. I'm being honest. I, he's not. I really don't even like him. But I think that I think that throughout the, the duration of that series, LeBron deferred to Kyrie to close the game, and Kyrie did what he does sometimes, and he closed the game for him. LeBron had that that big block. But I mean, with LeBron, I guess we kind of get spoiled. We expect him to do that. Like we expect him to get 27 and 10 rebounds and 10 assists. I was, like I said before, yeah. it's like we all expect. That's what I'm saying. Like LeBron. People expect LeBron to make the final shot. They expect LeBron to come up in big moments. And obviously, like, I don't know, there's a lot of LeBron haters in the world. And, like, obviously, I know you're not one of those people because, like, we have talked about LeBron before. It's just that, yeah. I mean, obviously, Kyrie Irving was a big factor in the series. And it's glad I'm glad that LeBron actually got some help finally in an NBA Finals. It took him long enough, yeah. to be honest. But I just, yeah. I think... I think without – you could put any NBA player in that 2016 season in place of LeBron, and I just don't think they make that 3-1 lead back. I just don't think that they would come back from that 3-1 deficit. I think LeBron was the only player in that position, just IQ-wise and just player-wise, to make the comeback and lead his team and get make the people around him better. I think – Do you think they went – sorry to interrupt you. Do you think they went that series without Kyrie Irving? Uh, probably not, no, but I also think that, I mean, I think you could take LeBron or Kyrie Irving away from that team. They probably don't win the series, obviously. I don't think they would be in that series if either of them was gone. Yeah. I I looked it up as well, Underwood. Uh, Game five, you mentioned both LeBron and Kyrie had 41 um, in this game. It's wow. LeBron. LeBron had forty-one as well, and sixteen boards and seven assists. And yeah, and that's another thing too. Like we, we, you mentioned, you made the point as well. We get so spoiled. We get so accustomed to these big performances from LeBron. From it's happening these days with Giannis as well. Things like that, where it's like, yeah, 
on paper, these guys could win an MVP every single year, but at some point, whether it's fair or unfair, you got to show me something different than what you've already done. And that's kind of the same thing here. Uh, I also want to go ahead and make a point as well. The real MVP of that uh, NBA <laughs> Finals was not LeBron or Kyrie. It was actually Klay Thompson making comments after they went up 3-1 and the clip with LeBron laughing. Once that happened, you knew sh- you should have known it was over. I mean, again, but, but I, I think that's... What did, what did Klay say? What did Clay say? I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was basically he said something insinuating that they were just destroying the Cavs, and LeBron had that little laugh with him. And I mean, you should have known. But again, it's it's like you said, and Cam, you start. I I will give you credit. You started the take with this. It's just one of those things when LeBron has done what he's done over the years. It's so hard to consistently keep giving him credit for it, and. A lot of people, when it comes to a carry job, I think he had the biggest example of that back in 2007 when he took that Cavs team with his best player being Zydrunas Ogowskis and Mo Williams up to the NBA Finals. And, of course, they got swept by that Spurs, the Dynasty Spurs team. But, you know, I do think, and, and I agree with you as well, LeBron haters out there, they want to point to his record. But if you look at the team, the only Finals loss that I think you can legitimately say is a is a, a knock against his legacy is that Dallas Mavericks team. That's the only... Yeah, that was a bad one. That's that was the, a terrible that's one. That's the only one. And, Le- and the other thing is, too, LeBron histo- played historically bad in that NBA Finals series as well. But you go through his losses. You've got the San Antonio Spurs. Again, the five-championship-winning San Antonio Spurs team that end up... They, he lost to that team twice. You go to, and he has Golden State that he loses to three times. And then you have the Dallas Mavericks. So it's one of those things, again, you have to take that into consideration. The fact that he's been to 10 NBA Finals is absurd in the modern NBA that we all know and love. Uh, but again, you you have to take it into consideration that LeBron, what he's doing, even though he may not seem like it, he's still a human being. And for him to put up those numbers is unbelievable. But I do also agree with you, Underwood. Kyrie has and also probably has close to an equal part in those later games to yep. get to that point as well. Yeah, and like like I just to you know reiterate what you just said, LeBron does take a lot of hate that he shouldn't get just because of people need something to hate. Um, and LeBron is a big personality and he can be that crutch for some people to hate. LeBron does everything on the basketball court. He is insane, and we're it, not not too long from now. He's not going to be playing anymore. So people need to go ahead and uh, watch, and you know, be lucky that they get to see him while he's still playing because he's getting up there in age. Uh, he, I mean, he spends a million dollars a year on his body, so he may play until he's seventy five years old, a la Tom Brady. But um, we it, we just get spoiled with LeBron. LeBron's awesome. Um, he does a lot of good outside of basketball as well. Um, but like I said, good good job, Cameron. I have to give you points too because I used the big point of who they were playing. And I mean that seventy three and nine Warriors team was stacked. They were monsters. You watch them in the regular season, you didn't ever think they were going to lose. So, um, yes, yeah, I would agree. That's good. We, we, this was a good good start to the show, Logan. You got to uh, bring something good for us now. Well, and I also one more thing too. It's also one of the things too because 
you got to look at the personalities in this as well because Golden State, this is the first year I would argue they really took on the villain role. Before, they were very much like, again, I can tell you my brother is a a big Warriors fan, and the reason he became a Warriors fan was because in, I believe it was 2014, he's in his college dorm, or 2013, he's in his college dorm. Steph drops 54 in Madison Square Garden in a loss, and he's dancing, he's running around, he's a tiny... NBA player, and everyone just latched onto it. But when 2015, 2016 hit, people started looking at it and say, okay, well, we don't like the fact how cocky they are in the court. We don't like, I'm just going to say it, we don't like Draymond Green. We don't like a lot of different personalities on this team. And they they thrived in that. They really relished that reputation. So not only that, but LeBron had not only the city of Cleveland on his back, because they were looking for their first championship in God knows how long, but also... The hope of the fate of the fanfare of a ton of NBA fans because they just did not want to see that Golden State team win, and the fact that he was able to even take one series off of that team speaks monuments to his legacy too. One uh, one last thing I want to mention before we get to Logan is that uh, I know this sounds kind of stupid to say, but I think the promise he made the Cleveland's also a big impact because obviously LeBron at one point was also playing the villain role. When he was with the Miami Heat. Especially in Cleveland, he was a huge villain. And, you know, yeah, he makes that promise when he's a rookie and he goes away, but he ends up coming back to fulfill it. And again, I kind of like what I was saying with David Freeze. Part of what makes a clutch performance, and same thing with Isaiah Thomas, is the story, is the narrative. Isaiah Thomas coming back after basic, not really but in the grand scheme of things, but destroying his ankle in the most sincere terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Freeze coming in after being an unsung hero, and then LeBron fulfilling a promise he made. At that point, it would have been about 11 years before that. No, 12 years before that, 13 years before that, some of that was somewhere in there. And he comes back and he fulfills that promise. I mean, yeah, it's definitely, I think that is the most meaningful championship to his legacy. A lot of people want to point to 2020 for some reason, uh, but 2016, bar none, is his most meaningful championship to me. I think LeBron could have retired after that series, and it would have been a storybook ending. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, just because I mean, obviously, he he had a lot left in the tank, and he showed that. But again, as far as kind of similar to like a Jerome Bettis type thing, retiring on the on the podium after winning your first Super Bowl, yeah, that's a storybook ending as well. That's All a right. rigged ending. Rigged ending for Peyton Manning is what that sounds like, <laughs> but whatever. All right, we'll spin the wheel. We'll spin the wheel real quick. Oh, look, it lands on Logan. So, Logan, you are going to be going next here to finish off the show. Right on. Well, I did about two hours of preparation for this. Um, So, we've been talking a lot about kind of, you know, U.S. championships, you know, like NBA is in the U.S., uh, MLB. In the U.S., I mean, give or take, I mean, you've got Canadian teams, obviously, but we haven't talked about a Canadian team yet, so uh, we're going to continue not to talk about Canada. No offense, Canada. (laughs) But um, I'm going to move on to uh, an Olympic performance. This is the 1996 Atlanta Olympics. Um, This is the story of Carrie Strug. Uh, She was a gymnast for the United States uh, team, and uh, this was before uh, the United States really had like a 
kind of like a, a gymnastics team that you knew because like now you know like it's simone biles or and it used to be uh gabby um i'm so sorry i cannot think of her last name gabby at the moment douglas. but gabby douglas yes um but uh this was kind of in the overall team performance the usa had never won a gold medal um it, it had been dominated by what was at the time the ussr and uh coming into this olympics uh, the USSR was uh, a top three team. Uh, Romania was number one. And uh, the United States was kind of against the odds. But then it comes down to the final event to decide who's going to win it all. The final event is vault. Um, so it comes up. It's the 14-year-old Dominique uh, Mosinu. Uh, she comes up and she, what she needed was a 9.430 in the vault to take the lead against the USSR. She vaults and she falls down. Gets a bad landing. She ends up getting a 9.2, but that's not enough to take the lead. So it goes on. It comes up to Carrie Strug. In order to take the lead, um, at this point, I believe she needed a 2.4 something um, in her first attempt. She goes down, has an amazing fall, jumps up, does two spins. I don't know the exact names for them. I, I, I don't watch gymnastics very much, but this story is just amazing to me. She goes to land, and she flubs the landing. In the process, tears two ligaments in her left leg. Um, I believe it was more towards the ankle side of the things. So she gets up, goes over, and her coach looks at her, and, she's, and he says, um, you, need to go, you need to go again. For the second attempt. So she gets up there. She has two torn ligaments in her ankle. Goes up. She needs a 9.762 at the time. There are other events going on a little bit. So they're still scoring. But in order to for sure take the lead. She needed a 9.762. She goes up there. She's the last vaulter. So this one really counts. She goes over. Vaults. Lands on both legs, but immediately goes into a one-foot stand and bows to her judges before immediately falling down in pain as she was running on torn ligaments. She ended up getting a 9.712, which, if you notice, was lower than the score before, but it came back and ended up that a floor performance earlier in the day ended up giving them a higher score overall as well. So that 9.712, the last event scored for USA in the team performance, gave them their first gold medal in gymnastics. So to, wow. add, to, to add to wow. that as well, I want to go ahead and say, in this society as well, and I'm, I'm including myself, I'm, I'm taking a shot at myself as well, I don't think people really value what it takes to be an Olympic hero. And to go and actually make the Olympics because we're so caught up in, especially here in the United States, we're so caught up in our sports leagues. We're caught up in the NFL, the NBA, MLB, NHL. We don't really think about anything past that. And so I think that an immense amount of credit, and you're talking about this story, you talk about Jesse Owens in 1936, you're talking about... Uh, the Miracle on Ice, like these these moments that Miracle on Ice is obviously much more known, but it's like 
they these moments that kind of go on for it kind of go forgotten a little bit in sports history because it's not from one of the big four or in a major American sport. It's just the Olympics. So I think that has to take some weight as well when you consider just how uh, how big the moment is. The Olympics are something that these people train for for their entire lives and. Similar to Isaiah Thomas, like we mentioned as well, having torn ligaments that just sounds horrific, and to come in and put together a gold medal like performance on that is something that's just phenomenal and unbelievable. Another little fun fact is uh, for Carrie Strug, that was her only gold medal she ever won in the Olympics. Was that performance? Well. And I, another thing as well, like, sorry to cut you off, I'll say this one thing. You're talking, no, you're good. You're talking about this as well. People don't realize about, um, and I'm, I'm going to go back, we talked a little bit about this off the air, but the Miracle on Ice is probably, in my mind, aside from Jesse Owens, maybe the most well-known Olympic event, especially in United States history. When you're talking about this, the Miracle on Ice wasn't even for the gold medal. It was a preliminary. It was a semifinal match, I believe, between the United States and the USSR. And they come through and they they come up with what I think, in my opinion, and if we, I'm kind of revealing an, an answer if we do this later. But the biggest upset in sports history, or at least one of them, it wasn't even for the gold medal. They go through and they eventually did win the gold medal. But in this case, all on the line, you have to perform right this moment, and she does. It's again, I I, I have to agree. It's an unbelievable story. And Underwood, I'll let you go right now. Yeah, like, yeah, like I said, I wasn't typically I'm familiar with those things, but like this, I was not familiar with. I want to give you credit and kind of plug a completely different topic, but I speak for everybody. Um, credit for picking a woman involved with women's sports. Women do not get enough credit with uh, their sports, um, especially like I said, I maybe a little bit biased for our coach high school girls, um, but women's and girls sports don't get the same type of coverage and things like that that the men's sports do so logan c- congratulations on picking that i really appreciate that that was that's awesome so good job with that um oh that's a that's actually a really interesting story i think it's awesome that uh maybe not awesome but it's interesting that she was the, that was the only one that she ever won and it was with horrific injuries and uh probably some of the worst injuries of her entire life so and honestly that, uh, that that adds to everything they have the whole performance on YouTube because I was I was actually I was when I was doing research I found it um, and um, at the end it's 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 hard to watch because when you watch because you have you see the landing that she makes in her first vault and you and her leg is straight and stiff as it falls um, at an awkward mm. angle you can see it tear and it, after you see that it's it's. Uh, incredible to see her come back up and because you have to have a running start into a jump onto a springboard <laughs> in order to do a vault uh, so that I mean, it's it's in, incredible and fighting the pain you can see it in her face as she's uh, addressing the judges it's it's an amazing thing to watch and it like in the olympics like i mean there there have been other stories told of injuries i mean kurt angle when he was wrestling he had a broken neck at the time but i th- i just think that this is incredible thing to witness i also think it speaks volumes as well just because when you're talking about that that olympic that those olympics in atlanta uh and underwood you mentioned this as well because it seemed like a story like this doesn't get enough credit um 
and the main story that I remembered coming in, and I'm guilty of this because I wasn't aware of this. When I in Atlanta, when the Atlanta Olympics, the most prolific story that I was aware of was Michael Johnson, uh, a, a gold medalist sprinter. Same thing with Donovan Bailey; they had a big feud. But this is one of those stories once again, the perfect situation coming up in these big moments fighting through an immense amount of pain and adversity and they've come through and not only get a huge boot uh, a huge uh, boost to them but also their team and you think about it these days like you mentioned people know people know the United States Olympic the, the United States uh, gymnastics team they know Simone Biles they know uh, Gabby Douglas like you mentioned Suni Lee these days these are relatively well-known names and back then it just wasn't the case so for in a way i kind of look at this story as a little bit of her being a trailblazer as well and that's something i really appreciate and i'm not 100 percent on this because because she was the last gymnast to go and i'm not 100 percent about this because i saw i saw a thing about it it was like an asterisk um it's i've i'm not sure if it meant that she wasn't able to perform in individual events, which would make sense because they did team before individual and she tore her ligaments so she couldn't continue. But I think it, it could, I'll, I kind of took it as she was kind of like an alternate from the way it was worded. I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, that, that kind of brings another level to it. But I didn't bring it up because I didn't know 100% what the case for that was. Cam, do you have any other things to say I, that, that's oh. all i've got to say i just you know i would recommend looking up the story of carrie strug so no i would like to say i would give props to logan though for such a unique story i mean obviously it's very like sad but i would like to give props to logan for coming up with a unique story that i don't think any of us have heard before so i'll give him props and obviously give her props to overcoming the adversity of obviously fracturing or well, I'm not going to speculate on what injury she had, but going through what she did. Oh, and again, not only going through the adversity, but in the biggest stage that that sport, again, same thing, the biggest stage that sport can possibly show, it's the Olympics. It's That's what gymnasts, sprinters, swimmers, that's what they train for. And for them to come up into those moments and you know, make the performance that she did, it's an unbelievable story. Underwood, do you have any other anything else to say as well? No, nothing else in detail. Like I said, I wasn't super familiar with that. The other ones that I'd already heard about before, so I had to do some some investigation on my on my own end over here. Good, uh, good pick, Logan. What uh, what led you to decide upon that? Were you trying to find something that you found interesting that um, was unique? Because that. Yeah, I was I was looking for I was just kind of looking around and looking for good stories on it. And originally, what like when I first thought of a clutch moment, and it, it pains me to say this as a as a Sixers fan, but the first thing I thought of was the Kawhi shot in the Eastern Conference semifinal <laughs> in uh, 2019. But and I and I had prepared some for that um, just in case, uh, but. Uh, I ended up kind of just looking around and I saw a bunch of, and it was all U.S. sports history um, that they were talking about, just different moments. Uh, I, I had read a little bit about the Gibson home run um, because he, he was a pinch hitter and, you know, that was you know, a crazy thing to do in baseball. But um, 
I got to kind of further down and I saw it, that it was in the Olympics. And um, a lot of people don't like to watch the Olympics anymore. And um, me personally, I, I really, I really enjoy the Olympics. So when I saw an Olympic story that I hadn't heard of, I was like, Ooh, this is interesting. And it was, it was a time before I was alive. And so I hadn't got, I didn't get to witness it live. And apparently like, even though she was known as a national hero at the time, even said so by, uh, at the, at the time, president Bill Clinton, um, they, uh, it was it was something that was kind of quickly forgotten, and I thought that was crazy after the adversity. Because when you think of basketball, like you think of moments like Clay Thompson coming back on his torn ACL um, to come shoot the free throws, same thing. And like when uh, Kobe shot his free throws after tearing his Achilles, so it's just it, it's a crazy thing to think about that it was so easily forgotten. As you mentioned, another one I thought about, which we almost made it an all-basketball one, because I thought about, I mentioned it earlier in the show, I thought about doing the Allen Iverson uh, game, but again, I just, I thought it spoke testaments to that. So, that wraps up our takes for this episode. What we're going to do now is I'm going to go through and we're going to reload the wheel and I'm actually going to go through and whoever it lands on, you will be providing your vote and your reasoning why you are voting for that person. Um, hopefully we don't have any ties after this. If we do, we'll figure something out. But we're going to go ahead and get things going. The first person casting their vote, as I have the wheel up here on the screen, will be Cam. So, Cam, out of myself, Logan, and Underwood, which take did you like the best and give your reason why? Um... Personally, I think I'm going to go with Logan's take here just because of the uniqueness and just the situation itself. Like, obviously, we had talked about, like, some amazing shots, some amazing plays, but this woman really put her body on the line just for her team, and I don't know. It's just it's a, very, it's just a unique take. I mean, honestly, I just don't think many people really know about it, and that's the reason I, I appreciate it because, obviously, it took some research and time to find this, and obviously make a take out of it so i have to appreciate the the dedication that logan made all right so we have one vote for logan uh, cam has casted his vote up next who will be making their vote it will be myself and so this is a tough one because uh, you know I, I i do think that everyone brought something together and I do have to, I will go ahead and say, I do have to dock credits to you, Cam, just a little bit because of how well-known, and that's obviously just because of how well-known that is, and I think I'm actually going to agree with you, even though Isaiah Thomas's performance is unbelievable. It's something that legends are made of, and it's another, it's another very forgotten performance. I do have to agree with you. I'm going to cast my vote for Logan's take as well, mostly because... Underwood started off the show by saying he and I and all of us here have had a, a, just an unlimited amount of sports conversations. That's something, and we are sports fanatics. That's something I can't say I was I was familiar with. That's something that uh, when you when you take the definition of a clutch performance, a clutch moment, it's coming up in the biggest moments in the biggest times, fighting through some unbelievable adversity and getting the best possible result for you and your team. And that checks all the boxes and then some. Plus, again, like Underwood said, it's really unfortunate just the, the little amount that women's sports gets covered in uh, 
in society today. And that's just another one of those situations to where it's an unbelievable story. It's an unbelievable performance. And I do have to agree. I think I'm going to give my vote to Logan as well. Man, it sounds like I'm getting voted off the island today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And so we will go ahead and spin the wheel one more time as well. And whoever it is, whoever, of course, is outside, it'll be Underwood casting his next vote. So I go last again. So you will be voting again. You will be voting again last. Correct. <laughs> it's Will is rigged against Logan. Um, is this weighted? I, <laughs> my vote is going to go to Blake um, simply because when I think of the topic question of most clutch performance and or clutch moment, um, I can't think of anything more clutch than giving your team <laughs> a chance to steal the feet away. You got to think as a uh, – a fan of the opposite team, you're probably you're probably pretty sure you're going to win that one, right? You're you're about to jump up and down, you're about to start celebrating, and then David Freeze hits it oppo, scores two, and then he does it again and wins the game. So nothing against anybody else's takes, but I think that based solely upon taking what the question was, I think that the moment of Game Six, I guess two moments when David Freeze hit the homer, and then when he hit the hit it to extend with one strike away from losing the game. Um, I, I, my vote goes to Blake because of that. All right, so two for Logan, two for myself. Logan, technically you have full power here. You could just vote someone else and win it for yourself. And I, I want you to know, I've went ahead and spun the wheel. It landed back on your name, so it's your turn to go ahead and cast your vote. I was going to say, if it didn't land it on my name, that, that that's <laughs> I'd have to talk to your producer about this if that was the case. Um, but... Uh, no, like like you said, I I really have the power if I really wanted to to be the first winner, but ultimately, like I I really liked um, the story of Isaiah Thomas. It, it's just uh, it's just unfortunate that he didn't win, you know, and mm-hmm. that's just that's just a, a thing lost to history. It's I mean it's not his fault. He did everything in his power, but like you said, I I've got to give it to Blake um, on this one. Just that. Down in Game Six, it's just a little-known guy, and I I gotta love the story of the little-known guy. I mean, that's insane to come up, hit a triple and a home run. Oh, and not just any home run, a walk-off home run. So I like like you said, I, I'm gonna give it to Blake on a, a, his uh, baseball clutch performance. So for the first episode, we have I guess we'll say co-winners. <laughs> we have co-winners here, yep. myself and Logan. And what we'll do is, you know, as I mentioned at the top of the show, it was uh, the winner will get to pick the take for the next week. We will collaborate and come up with the take, uh, come up with a question, a topic between the two of us that we will pitch for next week's episode. We may even toy with the idea of bringing someone else on. We may bring us another person in. We don't really know just because at that point that can balance out some of the ties. Um, or have like a weekly guest or if you want to let us know down in the comments again if you're listening to this on youtube if you see this on my facebook page let me know down in the comments who you think won who was your favorite take and your favorite story and we will go ahead and figure it out from there so one for one never lost <laughs> so uh as i stated as i stated this is this is going to be a weekly thing is what we're trying to make it um it'll be Again, different topic every week, and I hope this kind of gave an idea. We're not necessarily going to be focusing on current events, what we might talk about. We're not going to focus on that. We're not going to focus on that. It's mainly just going to be 
topics that we come up with and our takes for that. We're gonna have a competition here. So uh, you can expect this episode. You can expect this episode and more to be uploaded to my YouTube channel, Nuggets Nation Twenty One. And like I mentioned, any other p- uh, platforms you have an idea for for a podcast, we will certainly try to go ahead and put those on there. But for now, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Leave a like down below, leave a comment, let, me, let us know what you'd like for us to change or what you liked here in this video. Um, and yeah, I think this has been a successful first episode as well. I'm looking forward to the ones in the future. So for my commentators, we'll just go by Discord here, Cameron Woolwine, Jacob Underwood, and Logan Porter. My name is Blake Holmes. Thanks for listening. Uh, this is something, again, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, to listen to us talk about some sports and we hope that we can be entertaining for you any of the three of you last words for we sign off in the last ep- our first episode go blue demons <laughs> I, I, per- I prefer uh, red demons but that's just me no. <laughs> let me clarify go Christiansburg blue demons alright there we go B. Carroll should have ran the ball. <laughs> that's true, and that's and that's an, and that's another one. That's another. That's another topic. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we we can definitely. Week. I mean, there is a thing we can say the dumbest coaching decisions in in sports history. That's one. <laughs> yes. So. All right. If I if I if I win, the next topic is going to be best game seven performance on a Tuesday at three p.m. ESPN stat out here for sure. <laughs> So, like I said, be sure to like the like the video, leave a comment on Facebook or YouTube, whether it's on you want to see us on a different platform, you want to see a different person coming in, a different topic, just let us know. We'll be sure to keep an eye out for that. So, like I said, for Cameron Woolwine, Jacob Underwood, Logan Porter, and myself, we want to go ahead and say thank you for listening, and we will catch you all next week here on Taking Heat. Y'all have a nice week.